You're listening to the Games and Street.biz podcast. I'm James Batchelor and I am joined this week by Matt Handrahan, Brendan Sinclair, Hayden Taylor, Rebecca Valentine, and Chris Dring. E3 is almost upon us. You can already smell the hyperbole and hot takes from here. So this week's episode is dedicated to our expectations for next week's event. We'll be discussing three key topics that are sure to be pillars of E3 2019 before a little bit of wishful thinking to round us off. First topic then, next generation. Uh, Sony, as we all know, is not attending but has teased the first details for PlayStation 5 about a month or so ago. So all eyes are kind of on Xbox to potentially deliver the first real insight into the next generation of consoles. Now, do you guys expect anything? Because I'll be honest, I'm expecting nothing more than say, do you remember when they did that Scorpio reveal and it's just a bunch of developers talking to a camera going on about how 1.21 gigawatts is going to make for the best games ever? Um, I'm ex- very much expecting the gigawatt teaser this week. This week. I don't think we'll get anything at all. I don't know. I, I feel like we're not going to get anything that specifically relates to hardware. I think we're going to get a ton of stuff about the streaming service, and that's Microsoft's real next generation. But I don't, I don't actually think... Well, obviously all this is just complete speculation, but I don't expect to see any Xbox hardware in the presentation tomorrow. I expect to see a lot, like, full... Maybe even full details, proper name for the streaming service, you know, all the all branding around that. That's that's where I think Microsoft is gonna gonna be laying its next gen card. It's just not next gen hardware. That's that's my my feeling. So I have a question. Do you think that we're not going to see next gen hardware because there isn't next gen hardware to show? Because because like you said, they're focusing on streaming, or do you think they're because there've been rumors, right, of that there were there were a couple floating around. There was whatever the next console was going to be, and then there was also the um, own, the diskless console, which I think we already have now. I think that correlated to that rumor that was going around. Do, do you think they're just not doing next gen hardware? No, they're definitely going to do next gen hardware. But yeah, I mean, it's important to remember that like, E three is used to be a way bigger deal in terms of announcing big things than it you you know than it is right now, and the. There's no real need to, to do every single announcement, you know, this weekend. You can you can debut your console in another way if you want to. I do think Microsoft's going to have another console. I think that to think they're going to have more than one variation of that console. I think it's going to be uh, more variation within their hardware strategy than Sony has, for example. So I actually think, in some respect, they're going to go bigger on hardware than Sony's going to. But I think. You know, if you follow Phil Spencer or any of the Microsoft execs, they've just been doing talking Project X Cloud non-stop for about two months, and I really, really think that that that's going to be where their focus is, in addition to first-party strength. But I think that's that's kind of going to be your Xbox press conference this year. I don't. I think that by adding hardware into that mix, unless it specifically relates to how they're going forward with cloud, I think it actually just confuses the issue a little bit. But again, you know, it's all. We're all speculating, and everybody's you know, entitled to completely disagree and call that a load of old rubbish. But yeah, that's that's kind of what my expectation is. There's got to at least be a reference. I mean, even last year, Phil Spencer said like we're working on a number of Xbox consoles, and obviously that may well have included the Xbox One SAD. Um, <laughs> I forgot about edition. I, it's so so unfortunate. Their naming department. Do you know what? That's a whole that's a whole other conversation. But I think with with. Given that Sony's already come out and given a couple of tech specs, they've got to at least reference the fact that we do have more hardware on the way. I'm not expecting a full-blown reveal. I like, like I said, nothing more than a 1.21 gigawatt developers going nuts over stats kind of you know, teaser trailer that shows absolutely nothing. That's the absolute most. But there's got to be at least some acknowledgement of this is coming, Like even if it's at the very, very end after an hour or so of streaming. But why? Why does it have to be that? If, 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 for example, Microsoft is going to unveil and completely detail like the, like what, what, what could well be the dominant streaming platform for games over the next five years, why would they have to add, you know, a nod toward the, their next box tomorrow? Yeah. The one thing I keep thinking is as we talk about, um, the lack of a need to really show all this stuff at E3 now is I'm, I'm going back through the previous consoles and wondering just how many of them really were like, Hey, here's the big announcement at E3, like, um, Xbox one and PlayStation four. I think they had like March or April of 2013 events specific to announce them outside of any other kind of, you know, gaming show. Um, Scorpio was announced 
at E3, like James suggested they would do with the the next thing. Uh, the Wii had its own its own unveiling, and I was just like in the office at GameSpot when everyone just went completely nuts about that controller. Um, what the the Xbox 360 had like that that MTV special with um, the the Hobbit guy, Elijah Wood. Wait, am yeah. I right? I don't know. Yeah, well, he he is the <laughs> um, Hobbit guy. And, and then so. PlayStation Three, like I, I, I it was a um, uh, I think it was an embargoed thing, but it, like it was it was in San Francisco at like uh, in some warehouse in the Dog Patch area, and like they showed you know Untold Legends and Box Guy, and you know everyone saw that and was just like, oh, oh, this does not look very good. But like these were. I'm not sure how many times I've actually seen, like, here's E3, here's the really big hardware reveal that we're just announcing everything. Like, Wii U, I'm pretty sure was, but... I just have memories of, what, 2017 when at E3 when they had the people in the front wearing those T-shirts or something. Like, I was present for the big, hard, bit, the most powerful console reveal of all time or something like that. And that So that was the Xbox um, One X? This is the, the one which X, they yeah. announced the previous year's E3, or yeah, because it launched in 2017, didn't it? The yeah. Scorpio yeah, one. Yeah, launched one. Yeah, launched 2017. So mm-hmm. that must have been the One X unveiling at 2017. Yeah, like E3 is a big marketing beat for all these consoles, and like it's a big like, oh, and now here's a whole bunch of new stuff for it. But it's not when they like, it's not the first time you get a substantial look at it. I find. Yeah, I mean, and also you know, it's, it's less about that, I suppose. It, it, we don't necessarily need to think about E3 and start the quake, start the conversation with will there be a console, right? You can start it from the other direction. Like what what does Microsoft really need to demonstrate this year? And I think what Microsoft needs to demonstrate this year is first party strength. Um, we're going to publish an article later today, which looks back at last year. And one of the points is Chris's article. One of the points it makes is that a lot of what was exciting about Microsoft last year actually didn't happen in the twelve months that followed. And actually, it's probably going to happen in the next 12 months. Phil Spencer's actually already set, confirmed, there's going to be 14 first-party games at, uh, at the Xbox E3 showing, which is the most it's ever, ever shown. Now, you could do 14, those 14 games. Now, there's going to be a bunch of third-party stuff as well. You can add in, uh, it's already confirmed, it's going to do the PC uh, version of Game Pass. That's going to be there. I'd be very surprised if it didn't have uh, a fairly big focus on Game Pass. I mean, that would be a pretty strong showing, I would say. And I, and I feel like Mike, the message Microsoft's really going to want to push this year is we have all of these studios all working to create content and it's going to be on Game Pass and this is our streaming service. And then, yeah, I guess, you know, there could be a few minutes of Todd Howard talking about, you know, refresh rates and stuff. There could be. There could be. I just feel that, you know, the, there would actually be no need for Xbox to do that and it could still emerge from E3 having put a really good foot forward in marketing terms for the Xbox brand. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm not, I, they, they say they might do what they did with the X, which was in 2016. They did a teaser video where they went, there's something amazing coming. We're going to show you next year. Um, they could do that. They might do that. Um, but I, I'm not expecting it to be a hardware year in any regard at all. I think I think you all have really good points as to why they are probably not going to show new hardware this year. I do think it would be an interesting year if they did decide that was the way they wanted to go, just because Sony's not here. And yeah, like like Brennan was listing off all the different reveal events for hardware, and I I mean I haven't been paying attention to hardware reveal events as long as most of you have, but it's interesting to me that most most of the time when they, when companies reveal new hardware, it seems weirdly like muted and low key or at a weird event or something. I mean, we kind of technically had the reveal of PS5 or whatever that's going to be recently via just some kind of article that just dropped out of nowhere and no one was expecting. Like that that's such a strange way to, like to my brain to show off a new console. But Microsoft and Xbox will have the monopoly on attention at E3 this year. So if they wanted to do something big and ridiculous to just, you know, show it all off all at once, this would be an interesting time to do it. Okay, alternative question then. If we're not expecting hardware, which I I may I may have missed, you know, not come across properly like I'm not expecting hardware either. I was just expecting stats, tech stats. But if we're not expecting hardware or tech stats, are we expecting from third-party publishers 
any kind of game reveals, the old high-end PCs trick. When uh, Ubisoft, for example, when they first unveiled Watch Dogs, it was for uh, high-end PCs, which meant next generation. Are we expecting that sort of reveal, or is it too early for that? Well, you had that last year. I, I think probably Cyberpunk 2077 was working on a spec that was way, way past what what any console that we currently have would do. I think the same was assumed with like Death Stranding and a couple of other games. I mean, it wasn't... No one gestured towards next gen for that, but there was definitely some conversation. At least, you know, my memories suggest there was definitely some conversation around whether whether what we were seeing from Cyberpunk was a next gen game in action. I did ask the CEO at um, CD Projekt Red, like, and, and all right, yes, he could have been lying to me, but I did say, is this for next gen or high end PCs? And you know, that that's that whole thing. And he said, no, this is for Xbox One and PS4. He may well have been lying. I wouldn't be shocked if it's been pushed back as they've had to ramp up development. But at that time, it wasn't planned for a next-gen console. I suspect they plan for both. Um, I suspect that CD, you know, they're working on Xbox. The Xbox One, PS4 has massive install bases. I don't think the transition from one generation to the other is going to be anywhere near as uh, uh, harsh as we've seen in previous times. I think it will be more of an evolution from one set of consoles to the other and I think as a result people are probably yeah they're probably making super high spec um, games on for PC and then they can upscale it to Xbox One and, and then so, so the, whatever the next Xbox is and, and do it that way I do expect though there will be some games we see this year I mean particularly if Microsoft is showing 14 games they don't have 14 games to come out before their next console I mean they don't have enough months I don't think um, so, yeah so I do expect that yeah and, like the, and just production cycles are such that the studios they bought four months ago wouldn't necessarily they're they're kind of their Microsoft their first Microsoft IP probably wouldn't be ready. No. And Halo months. Infinite, which was last year. Just getting back to Rebecca's point a little bit, whether or not Microsoft like sees this as an opportunity to announce new hardware or make a big splash because Sony's not there. Sort of I guess it points to the question of whether or not E three is like a zero sum game, right? If there's winners and losers and if one person's success comes at the expense of another and like i don't necessarily think it does like i think it's entirely possible just for everyone to have a strong show and for people to come out excited about all the platforms but i'm curious if if you guys see any kind of like real um you know pressure on them because there's no sony to, that they, that they would get like a boost in whatever that they announce. No, I I certainly agree that that's that's possible and probably has happened at E3s before. Um, I just you know I think it's undeniable that Sony not being there kind of inevitably means that just the idea of Microsoft and Xbox in general is on people's minds who think about E3 a little more often than it would be in a year where Sony was also there. Like, I, if that makes any sense. It does, it does make sense. To offer the counterpoint to that, uh, though, um, Microsoft going to E3 this year with no competition. They could turn up with one game and beat and be more and win E3, if you want to use that term. Um, in fact, I would have been, if I was them, I'd have been tempted to have done that and then saved everything up for next year so that if Sony do come back in, in 2020, it, they've got some big, you know, if Xbox... Uh, show off everything they've got coming up in what this year. Yes, they'll have the full attention of everybody, but next year it'll just be the situation will be reversed, and they'll have a rather lackluster showing, and then Sony will have the the, the noise. I think. Um, I think there's also you've got to think about you know what are they what if they do announce a new if they do go big on the next Xbox at this E3, and then they what are they got to show us next year? Um, but yeah, yeah, I guess. I still think, you know, that, that fundamentally, I mean, that this is a point that Jim Ryan actually made an interview that we, we kind of uh, we covered today where he talked about how, like, the point, the time has come where companies like Sony and Microsoft need to stop thinking in the context of the last 25 years. And a lot of what we're talking about here is us talking in the context of the last 25 years, right? Like E3, console launches, that kind of thing. And how... Where if Microsoft has the has a stage separate from Sony this year, then it might as well do its big thing of launching a console. But is Microsoft is, is for Microsoft is launching a, a new console hardware a bigger thing than its streaming service? Has it now changed to the point where that's actually kind of a secondary concern for Microsoft? 
and E3, and E3 is the stage. If it, it's going to, if it does still see E3 as the primary stage in which to all announce something, it's not actually like leaving its biggest card in its hand by mm. it not being a console. It's actually playing its biggest card by it being the, the the full kind of reveal of Project X Cloud. And, that, and that's not purely just because of what they've been talking about recently, but just because of, that's how they view their business going forward. And that has fundamentally changed since the last time. They even they all, they even announced the the Scorpio, you know, that the, the, they just their way of looking at this is, is is fundamentally different now. Yeah, if you're talking about the importance to the business of Xbox and Microsoft, then yeah, the streaming service probably is the most important thing. But if you're talking about like E3 is a marketing event to get people excited about stuff, I don't see streaming services being useful for that because like a streaming service the the gold standard promise of it is just it's as good as playing it on the box at home from a disc mm-hmm. like what's really going to get people excited like here's here's a business model where it's like a really low monthly rate and a ridiculous amount of games like mm. that's that's really cool maybe but but like people are excited about the games not not the business model so it's yeah. it's sort of like i don't i don't see how you generate hype around hey this is going to be just as good as the way you play games right now only now you can also do it on your phone yeah. or your laptop but, uh, but i don't think it's necessarily going to be i don't if you know if i were microsoft i wouldn't do that in isolation it wouldn't be an hour on a business model it would be 45 minutes on 14 first-party games, and then this is the service you can play them on for one price, right? I'm not saying that's what it's going to be, but that's just like a hypothetical example of how you could package those two things together and use the hype around games to sell the idea of the service, right? So that's one possible way that could happen. Well, well yeah, I mean, they could say xCloud, we're doing this xCloud thing, it's going to come, and they could list a load of platforms. They could put Switch up there, they can put PS4 up there, and just imagine that that kind of... The reaction to that is, hang on, I can play all these games streamed to my PS4 or my PC or whatever um, mm-hmm. this Christmas. Or maybe maybe Xbox will reveal a, a device and it's not a next-generation console, but actually a streaming box for the under the TV. And suddenly we're looking at um, we're looking at something that's really quite compelling and interesting that's also immediate and happening soon. Yeah. I mean, and that does actually speak to a bunch of... I mean, to, to kind of a prevalent sort of rumour that's going around, which is that, you know, in... Uh, Following on from a, an article that Rob Farhi wrote for us a couple of weeks ago, a few a few mm. weeks ago about the ways in which Sony and uh, which Microsoft and Nintendo are working together, that there could be announcements around a much deeper relationship between those two uh, companies that would, you know, potentially include key franchises being on the Switch and so on. And that, in its own way, is a kind of a next generation play. It's like a mm. it's an evolution of the business. And uh, that I think you know it would. Could be exciting. I mean, could might we possibly see Phil Spencer on the Nintendo stage in the way that we've seen, you know, Miyamoto in Ubisoft press conferences last few years? I am. I'm really hoping for that. Like, the, the just there's been enough signs over the last few years, and and Chris has written enough in, in opinion pieces as to why it should happen. That I am now fully expecting that this year. Like I'm, I'm, I'm quietly hoping for something good from Nintendo. Like I'm actually, I actually, I, I expect Xbox to have a load of announcements. I expect there to be loads of games. They're going to show off Halo. They're going to show off Gears. Probably going to show off Fable. They're going to show off Forza. That's all of their biggest franchises. Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Well, that's going to sell 100 million, and Xbox will be number one. Yeah. So yeah, Ori will be great. Um, there's going to be loads of stuff, and I think, um, and I think. If anything, it'll be quite. Yeah, you know, there might there'll be streaming service. There might be a hint at hardware. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, in, in Exiles said that their new thing's going to be be on stage. I mean, Obsidian's already got an announced project that probably be up there as well. You might see what's coming, like a teaser of what's coming next from Ninja Theory or something like that. Like, I mean, Microsoft's probably going to come out there and have a really, really good year for both for both in terms of both platform and product. I, I really think it's probably going to be better. any third party publisher with like a multi platform game to announce. Like it's defaults to microsoft show this year right yeah i, was yeah, I think that. i think microsoft would have to work really really hard to have a bad show this year 
What do we expect then from the other platform holder? Because Nintendo is still present. We're going to get the usual Nintendo Direct um, that will probably be, if it's anything like last year's, it'll be 35 minutes of excruciating detail on one title and then five-minute trailers on on a bunch of other other interesting titles. Um, what are we hoping for? Because we've just, as we record, we've just had a 15-minute Direct on Pokemon Sword and Shield, which I originally thought was going to be their big game this year, but clearly they might have something else. I am very interested to see what Nintendo does this year because they, they, yeah, like you said, they've done, the last three years, they've done a Nintendo Direct that focused on one game. We had Breath of the Wild, uh, we had Mario Odyssey, and then we had Smash last year. And I think Breath of the Wild and Odyssey were generally regarded to be very strong Directs um, and people really enjoyed them. But I think people, my general impression of how people felt about the Smash Direct is that Smash people loved it and everybody else just kind of looked at it and tuned out. And I don't, yeah, so Pokemon can't be their big game this year because they just did this. And their other option that we know about right now is Animal Crossing. And I love Animal Crossing to absolute bits, but I don't think you can do a 30-minute direct on Animal Crossing. (laughs) It, it, It doesn't work. So they have that. And then I think they also have kind of an interesting setup going into this year because this is the first year where they've kind of maybe not explicitly acknowledged but they really do seem to have finally dropped the 3ds like they're just they're just not doing it anymore so they have all these developers who have previously been developing for 3ds who have the potential to maybe show something off for the switch and then they said that they're not going to announce a new hardware model at e3 this year but they do seem to have a new hardware model coming, maybe later this year, maybe next year, something like that. So there's all these things kind of surrounding what Nintendo's Direct is. And so I think we're going to see something different, but I'm not sure how different or what we are to make of it. So you're right. Um, Animal Cross, so Nintendo likes to focus at E3 on games that are coming out this year. So the Nintendo approach E3 in the way that actually you're kind of supposed to approach E3, which is let's make this a big marketing kickoff event for our big game of the year. And they did it with Smash Brothers last year. And although it was boring to me because I'm not a Smash Brothers fan, it worked a treat. And that game was a huge, huge success. Um, and I, you know, Animal Crossing is the obvious one because Animal Crossing is a 12 million selling franchise. It's, it's a bit, you know, each game sells 12 million. It's very successful IP. It's the biggest IP they've got coming this year. Out, outside of Pokemon, Pokemon's not technically theirs, which is the reason why they don't... I mean, it is technically sort of theirs, but it, it's not a, a full first-party game, which is the reason why it's always before E3. Um, but um, you're also right in that, what do you say about Animal Crossing for 35 minutes? Um, I... Um, you talked about 3DS stuff. It's really interesting. You talked about 3DS developers. Every game that's coming out this year, that's on Nintendo's release schedule this year, so you've got Animal Crossing, you've got Fire Emblem, you've got Luigi's Mansion 3, you've got um, uh, Pokemon as well, and you start looking at things like even the 2D games. They're all from 3DS developers. They're sequels to 3DS games. Um, and so I think that strategy, I think they do have quite a lot of games to talk about this year. Um, I think it is going to be a little bit like upgrading. I think we'll think... I, I think if they're not showing, and they said they're not, showing a sort of cheaper, more basic model of the Switch as a sort of 3DS replacement, I think that'll be the thing we'll think is missing. Um, they've got all the games and not the content. Um, but whether or not they do the whole one game thing, I mean, you need to remember that two, three years ago when they did the one game thing with Breath of the Wild, that was a necessity. I mean, that's all they had. And then they sort of retreated the trip of Odyssey and they repeated the trip of Smash Brothers. But yeah, I don't know if they, I don't know if you can, you can't spend 30 minutes talking about Animal Crossing, unless you do something radical with that franchise. It's one of my favourite games in the world, but you just, you just can't. <laughs> yeah. This, also, they're all not, they're not that exciting. I mean, they're all good games. Like, Animal Crossing's a great game, Pokemon's, Pokemon's probably a bit exciting. They're all really great games, but they're not like, blow your mind, Mario Odyssey style, Breath of the Wild reveal thing. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, Nintendo do change their E3 strategy from time to time, but... In recent years, they've had so much success with focusing on one big game um, that you'd think they'd try and do it again. But I just don't think there's one that, you know, does that in their first party line. I think they'll probably just focus on quite a few. Because they do have, they have like one of the strongest lineups of any, first party lineups of any games company this year. I mean, it's just, even if you throw in Super Mario Maker, which is out soon, and you, um, you've, they've got like a major game every other month, or at least maybe even once a month. So, um, yeah, I think it will be a good E3 for them, but I, I yeah, I don't know if they they can do the whole uh, uh, sort of um, uh, uh, Comic Con style deep dive into one into one thing. 
You don't think Link's Awakening could be uh, more of a, a bigger overhaul of a remake than... Um, I, I don't think you can... Again, I don't think you can spend 35 minutes on that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm half yeah. expecting a new IP. Like, they haven't... ARMS was the last one they released, right? And that was for launch on the Switch. So it's like, you know, we're pushing three years now. And I know Nintendo don't exactly rattle out new IPs very often, but it feels like if they're going to release one, this would maybe be the time for them to announce it. Maybe another Splatoon or more more Smash Brothers DLC? Nice 20-minute segment for Smash Brothers DLC? Anyone? Ah! <laughs> no. Well, they did. Um, they did Labo. Labo was actually their last new IP. It was last year. That's a good point. Yeah, but I'm. I'm. It's not. It's not. It's, it's not, not that. Not really not like the E3 a, crowd. Yeah, it's not really in the main line of games, is it? You know, you wouldn't really call it a sort of a traditional release in the way that like Splatoon or uh, Arms was. And you know, Nintendo first-party IPs are almost universally successful, like the main ones. Although Arms was a little bit spottier, from what I gather. But Arms is a good game. Like, it's not. It did a couple really of million. My bag. Yeah, it's uh, I, I, from what I understand, it's very successful in Japan, mm. um, and like I like Arms. I'm terrible at it, but I like it. It's cool and weird, um, and I always like when Nintendo announce something new because it's always just delightfully out there. So I just kind of want them to, yeah, give us something new and exciting for the Switch like that, rather than although like the I don't know the Pokemon feels like it's getting a bit of the Breath of the Wild treatment in that they're really overhauling it um, with the, you know, the open world and things like that. So uh, maybe, maybe they could, they could, they could do it. I think it'd be good if they did. Um, I think, you know, they were stung. So the last, and I went to talk about new IP, I'm talking about character IP. They did Mm. before Splatoon was Pikmin. Right. And that was, Mm. we're talking like 14 years or (laughs) <laughs> um, I mean, there was, and then they, and then they, um, and they did Wii Sports, and they did other new IP. That's unfair to say they didn't, but they didn't. Yeah, I think I'd be. Yeah, it was probably a Mario Golf. That's probably something. Um, but yeah. Um, if Camelot's there, they better be showing off some Golden Sun mm-hmm. and not Mario Golf. Thank you very much. <laughs> Rebecca, oh, yeah. I don't know how to break this to you. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think we'll see any? Uh, seriously, do you think we'll see any Metroid at all? Uh, other MHD. <laughs> maybe, maybe yeah, maybe a trilogy. Uh, Prime trilogy on Switch. That's the most you'll get, and that would be pretty nice. And what about Retro's game? Because Retro, I take it, were working on a game before they were given Metroid Prime. I'm just, I, I just worry that's just disappeared. Um, there was all this talk of this racing game that they're working on that apparently was out really soon, and then it was just never announced. Um. It probably was dropped for in favour of Metroid Prime. Given the fan reaction to that Metroid Prime 4 logo reveal, I think Nintendo would have been like, no, this is your priority now. Put that on the back burner. Yeah, I guess so, but I would have thought it was nearly ready. That was all. I mean, it's um, Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze was quite a while ago now, and that was the last game that they actually um, made. And, you know, there was all these talk of this brand new... Uh, weird Star Fox Racing. That was it. That they, they were working on. They're on the brink of announcing. It's been. It's been. Yeah, it's been over five years since Retro released the title. Um, and, well, yeah. Retro picked up Metroid Prime Four back in January, right? Because mm. they, who I don't remember who was developing developing it before, if we even knew. But I guess Bandai. it wasn't going great, and so they shifted development over to Retro. So that's the main thing I think they're doing now, as of just this last January. Chris has got a point though, because like if the the reveal when they said that oh we've transferred Metro Prime Four over to Retro, they just said right it's going back to the drawing board. It's going to be a while. If that meant like they could easily buy a few months, like, you know, just have a few months to finish off Star Fox Racing, and then work on Metro Prime Four. And I tell you what, Star Fox Racing that is a deep dive half an hour title that we could see in a Nintendo Direct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want another Donkey Kong Country game. Well, also, you know, development cycles are different. You get the sort of the lead de- lead designers and stuff. They're kind of finished with a game when it reaches, you know, towards the end of the project. It's then then it's insert and it's in QA and that kind of stuff. So the people that are working on Metroid Prime that were working on whatever the retro game was aren't working on it. You know what I mean? Like it would, it, it's fine to start. You start a project before the other one finishes anyway. Anyway.
Okay, so uh, the big question here I have is, uh, do you think that E3 is uh, on a downward trajectory? Is it is it becoming sort of a dud of a show? And uh, my my question here is based partly on my own kind of like nostalgia. Uh, just like I've been going to these shows since like 2001. And back then I remember just there were so many mid-tier and top-tier publishers and they all had their own booth and each booth was packed with a whole bunch of games. And I would get really stoked because not only was I going to see all the stuff I really wanted and was excited about, I'd be exposed to like five or six hidden gems every show. And now I was looking at the floor plans for this year and like Sony is completely a wall EA is doing their offsite EA play thing. And even that is like, eh. um, Activision is, is not on the show floor. Microsoft is in the neighboring LA live complex. And like, that's, they're still participating in E3 proper, but that still just sort of takes some of the excitement off the, the show floor. And like, I don't know. I, I look at those, those floor plans, how they've been going. And I'm just kind of like, this show gets less interesting each year. I think it's interesting to maybe kind of draw a distinction between E3 is like this kind of wider concept and E3 as an actual show from Tuesday to Thursday. Because I definitely agree with you that the Tuesday to Thursday show is looking less and less exciting every year. But I think E3 is kind of this idea of a big week from like, gosh, it's like Friday evening or Saturday morning all the way through the following Friday of just nonstop announcements that people can watch online and pay attention to. I think that's still going pretty strong and isn't hurt by the fact that so many folks are moving off site and doing their own events alongside it. It's getting lengthened, but I don't think it's diminishing. Well, even the lengthening seems like it's drawing out less and less content and interesting stuff over a longer period. Like even back in the day, it was Monday and Tuesday, were just crammed full of stuff. And then the the Wednesday and Thursday of E3 were sort of, for news, a lot more mellow, uh, not not as much of a big deal. But now we've, we've got things starting on Saturday the week before, and, and it's just, I don't know, it feels like there's a lower concentration of interest. I think it comes down partly to, like, games as a service, um, because it, it's like it's not like the, the old days where you, you know, you'd have a publisher go on and they've got like a dozen games to announce. Like I feel like less and less games are getting announced at E3 because publishers are kind of you know bigger publishers are releasing less games. Like Activision is a great example in that now they don't have Destiny, all they really have is Call of Duty and I mean is Skylanders still a thing? I think it's no, no, no. So like you know one. And yet Activision is still one of the biggest game publishers in the world, one of the most successful. And it has, like, one major property, and that's it. Whereas if you look, like, years ago, it had, you know, like, at least half a dozen it could show off, perhaps. At least, you know, it was able to bring more. But with games as a service, it's like, you just... People are playing less games for much, much longer. And so there is just less to kind of throw out there. Yeah, and I, I, I think I when you... agree with both. Sorry. I was going to say I agree with Aiden, and I also agree with Rebecca. It, I think E3 as a week is as a week as sitting from people sitting at home like watching it. They don't care where EA are, and um, they don't even. I mean, when I was a kid, I used to think they all happened in the same room, um, and um, I didn't realize everyone's traveling all the way across LA to go to that stuff. I think that's still exciting. There, are, but at the same time, there are fewer stuff. There's fewer stuff being announced. Take Two. You'd use Activision as an example. Take Two is a great one. Take Two haven't actually had a booth of any where they promoted any games. But, well, this year will be the first one in like three years, I think, because they didn't have anything to announce. And that's unusual for a major company. But the truth was they had all these big online titles ticking over for them. And they and so they delayed all the, you know, they, the AAA games are taking longer and longer to make. Um, so E3, I think, yeah, I think E3 is, is uh, I think as a show, it's really challenged. I think as an event, it's a project. Um, but as a week, I still don't think there's anything, there's nothing that comes close to it in yeah. the industry calendar. But I think, I think you know one of you know the the, the games of service is representative of the way that the industry as a whole has changed. And one of the ways it's changed is that a lot of the variety, a lot of the excitement, doesn't really come out of those companies specifically anymore. And I, I, I don't know about this because you know I'm not a regular E3 attendee. But has E3 
has E3 found any ways to respond to the fact that you've got so many different games of all different sizes, a variety of budgets that can't, <clears throat> that, you know, they're, they're from companies that are never going to afford to buy massive booth space at a show like E3. I mean, it's one of the reasons, the reason why the Devolver sort of anti-E3 thing started, because it can't, you know, you can't afford to be part of this thing. So we're going to start our own party across the road. But that's one of the more sort of vital and unique, fresh new voices in the games industry of the last sort of five years. And it, and it didn't really feel like it could be a part of it. Now, I suppose you could argue that the Devolver thing is, is technically a part of E3. But I mean, if what we're talking about is E3 as a specific show, whether or not that is losing its relevance, whether that's turning into a bit of a dud. I mean, it has it, and again, to the people that attend more than, than, than I do, I mean, has it managed to keep up with the pace of change in the in the kind of products that really define and, and sort of comprise the games industry? Yeah, it's, it, the, the return on investment of E3, it's also, it costs a lot of money, and I don't think, you know, even the big companies, EA's moved out, EA can afford to move out, but I don't think they're getting value out of E3, um, because it used to be a retail event, and you don't really need that anymore, and, it used, and then it became a media event, and although journalists are still, you know, influence are still important, they're not necessarily as important as, you know, uh, getting it in front of gamers directly. So I think there is an element of people just going, what is, you know, even the big companies are struggling to justify the cost. They do have, like, indie areas at E3. Um, but the problem is there's also none, nobody really wants to cover them. If you're an indie developer at E3, you're, you're not going to, you're competing with the noise made by Destiny and whatever, Kingdom Hearts or Cyberpunk and, and so there's there's a desire. I mean, there was times. I remember times. Uh, Brendan will remember the time that Gree and Dino and all those sort of got a DNA or whatever. Um, they all went to E3, and it turned out nobody there wanted to talk about smartphone games. So it, you know, it was that was that. Um, and yeah, it's yeah, it is it is it is a playground for the big board, the big players. Um, but uh, there are fewer and fewer of those. With games as a service, uh, I, I think also the. Uh, benefit for so many of those companies with the games as a service model is that they go right to their core audience anyways anytime they have that direct relationship with them they know exactly where they are they can they can target them with a message anytime they want so they can just do you know a twitch stream specific to their game any day of the week and their audience will show up because it's the same audience that they had before and they want to retain that audience for the next however many years um with with e3 it doesn't really like the the point of something like what e3 was was that that megaphone to get you know in front of everyone but games as a service as much as you want to bring in everyone once they're there you just you just talk right to them and it seems to work just as well i think the megaphone's pointed at a slightly different crowd nowadays in that like going back to chris's point about the, the type of media that are coming yes there's a bunch of influencers and so forth but the thing that struck me when i came last year was the amount of like tv crews and broadsheet journalists and you know you have the widest variety of non-games media at this show they don't go to gamescom they don't go to T gdc they don't go to tokyo game show they go to e3 so e3 is the very very narrow window into the world of video games for the rest of the non-gaming world and yeah all right it's not it, like i say it's not fully representative because it is primarily focused on the triple a blockbusters but that's where a lot of the attention comes from the amount of um you know, t you know, publishers that, that get their games or get their executives on to, you know, the, you know, the news channels. And, you know, I mean, even we got interviewed by, you know, Al Jazeera last year. And Chris, you've been interviewed by, I think it was like ABC News and stuff like that. It, it's, it's a broader, it's a broader form of journalist that, that goes to this event. So you've got a broader type of audience, maybe not quite in the way that, that you'd no. want it though. E3 is a media event. It's a media event. It's the, it's the place. If you want, if you've got something to demo, demonstrate, you're going to have, you know, if, you, if you're going to get on, the, if you manage to get your game on a direct, you're going to have an audience bigger than any other point. And, you know, I'm, I was on the BBC website this morning. The BBC homepage has an E3 article on the homepage, piping up the up next week's event. Uh, Associate Press called us in. Is that right? That's what it's like. Um, uh, to um, uh, uh, talk about um, uh, E3. It is, it is that event. It is, a, it is a... And as a result, actually, there's a bit of responsibility on the event to... Um, uh, you know, really represent games in a positive way. And sometimes I don't think E3 does that. Um, but, uh, 
it, yeah, I mean, but but with with these, but with these kind of much much larger news organisations, I mean, I suppose circling back to a point that you made earlier, Brendan, which is about you know that the E three is a is a show kind of about marketing your game to consumers. But you know, when I mean, I look at all of these these larger media networks and big newspapers and so on, and the coverage they produce every year, and it's very often it's just like a very general and vague article. Look, what you know, what's happening in this specific moment in the wacky world of video games. But they're not picking up individual games. They're not talking to individual developers. It's generally just a, fair, a fairly broad and vague piece about the whole industry and, and kind of just using E3 as an excuse to kind of get in there for, for, for the briefest of moments. And in that sense, it probably that's why it is, remains quite a good week for companies to, to premiere really, really big and ambitious bets like a new console, like a streaming service, because that is the kind of thing there's something like, I don't know, Al Jazeera or the New York Times might actually focus on. Whereas this kind of melange of different games, I mean, I, I don't think the, these mainstream media outlets really know what to do with that stuff. When I think of like the mainstream, uh, the, the points where gaming culture is sort of broken through to the mainstream and all the mainstream uh, outlets care about them, I think about like Minecraft and Fortnite and other things that didn't come up through E3. Like the the Wii Remote is the last one I can really think of where like it had a big presence at E three and the mainstream picked up on it and started to you know you see it filter everywhere uh, through mainstream media but like it's it's just not a gatekeeper for that anymore. I've always thought that that idea that that this is the kind of the the week where the world is looking at the games industry is slightly overstated and the e3's value is still very very much a specialist one and that's really what all of it's about Guys, in preparation for this podcast, I sent you guys uh, an email with the the chosen topics, and I asked you one question. What is one game that you would like to see announced next week? Now, this can be anything that's realistic. You can kind of cheat and go by the rumours slash leaks slash the almost certainties, or you can go by your just full-blown pipe dream, what you would like to see next week. Matthew, you're the boss. What would you like to see announced next week? Uh, Fable 4 unquestionably Fable 4 nice because actually you know we're in an era where it's, it's really quite hard to get to E3 press conferences and not really have any idea whether something is definitely going to be there um, mm. you know because I, I was quite intrigued by you know the Crystal Dynamics Avengers product pro, um, project but I know that's going to be there now so that's not that but I don't know that Fable 4 is going to be there I just imagine it probably will be and uh, yeah I, Fable 2 is one of my favourite games of of that generation and fable 3 certainly had more ambition than it did execution but i kind of admire that sort of thing and i've always loved that world and that kind of way of that way of um the sort of the sense of humor and the art style and and i love rpgs as well so I, i'd love to see a fable 4 there and of course you know i don't know can we talk about who's making it it's sort of like an open secret isn't it i won't go into that it's, it's rumored it's heavily yeah. heavily rumored <laughs> To be playground games in the second rude, studio yeah. that we have, um, I I quite enjoy winding those guys up. Like whenever I do t- talk to them, it's like, so that thing that you're working on that you can't tell us you're working on, but you're definitely working on. Are you working on it? And they just look really <laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> well, no, but I, so so to that point, it's you know, it's a <clears throat> it's a triple A big game made in the UK. You know, and I, I like that. You know, I like to see the British industry putting out kind of you know relevant and uh, and even sort of vital projects. And then and, and Fables are very it's got it's got a distinctly British flavour to it. And I, w- I would like to see that back on my, uh, Microsoft's IP roster after so long with like mainly just Halo and Gears and Forza. Have you seen the uh, the leaks, the rumours that have come out this week about what's going to be in it? Like the the rumour basically is that it's. It's essentially going to be set long, long after Fable: The Journey because that one still counts, and as as the the world has basically ended, you know ended with a meteor strike, but then has reset as this kind of medieval style um, civilization like the original game, and that appeals to me. That sounds good. I, I loved the original. I've got to say, I feel that any new Fable game that sort of takes Fable: The Journey as canon is probably off on the wrong <laughs> foot for me. 
I mean, you know, <laughs> that, that well-known chapter in the Fable universe, Fable Journey. Yeah, right, good one. Fable of the Journey isn't that bad. I'm not oh, saying it's bad, yeah. I'm just saying right. that how many people actually played that game, you know, like, maybe that's oh, yeah, not your no. starting point for a refresh of the franchise. But, but that, that's why I think, I think the point is they're going to reboot this, and there'll be references to things that have happened in the previous games, so basically it's on the assumption that no one has played the previous ones, and certainly no one has played the Journey apart from Chris, and we'll go from here. So. <laughs> yeah, well, that's my one anyway, but might as well move on. Fable's probably uh, giving us all we're going to get. Brendan, what would you like to say? Uh, I guess I would want Microsoft's streaming service to have a virtual console-like uh, storefront with all kinds of old retro systems and their libraries represented. Oh, and, nice. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, and I want that great. to be on the Nintendo Switch so that I can play Dreamcast <laughs> games on my Switch. That's all I want. Nice. I am I am quietly hoping for Game Pass on on Switch because like I I wrote up my Kiki Wolfkill interview and I realised like I have not played any of the Halos apart from Witch. It's like it'd be great to finally play a Halo game, but do it on a Nintendo pod, uh, a Nintendo console. That'd be hilarious. Hayden, what would you like? Uh, so my absolute pipe dream answer is XCOM Three, which it's just. I know XCOM Two was a success, but I feel like if XCOM Three was happening, we would have heard something about it now. Um, or if at least it was going to happen around E3. Um, and my much more sort of uh, reasonable one is the new game from From Software, which has been all but confirmed and will almost certainly be appearing on the Microsoft stage at E3. Is that's that the, the one that's rumoured uh, to have George R. R. Martin involved? It is indeed, yeah. Which, Ooh. like, it, as as a like a literary author, uh, like the Game of Thrones books are, I, I find them basically unreadable. Um, <laughs> but he's but he's good at. But he's good at character development, and that's kind of that's that's the thing that like from software games, despite telling their stories in very like esoteric ways, they always have these really just harrowing character arcs, which I feel like George R. R. Martin, even if he just is bought in to just do a bunch of that stuff, I feel like that will like help elevate the game, which is I've seen a report saying that it's called Great Room. And it's going to be like fully open world, which I'm I'm not too keen on because open world games are kind of drive me a bit mad. But I am I I will sacrifice myself on the altar of From Software. So I'm... <laughs> I will I will I will give you a bit of hope on XCOM. Um, XCOM two XCOM please, Enemy please, Unknown. Please. <laughs> XCOM Enemy Unknown came out. Thought they're both successful, really successful games. XCOM Enemy Unknown came out in 2012, um, and then the XCOM two was announced. Uh, three years later in 2015 um, and then released in 2016 so if we're going to go on that release thing that means we sh- yeah if, if this game takes the exact same amount of time to develop as it, the next one takes the exact amount of time as XCOM 2 we should have an announcement about it soon or it might it might take an extra year well um, Axis is about as clockwork as it gets with their development right like they're the only take two studio that doesn't like habitually delay stuff by a year <laughs> well yeah. yeah and I, and yeah and i'd um it has been successful and there has been a lot of talk about it and there, there is a rival xcom game coming out of course pretty soon yeah, in phoenix, phoenix point, point. Um, the thing is it doesn't look nearly as good and yeah, it's, an indie, it's an indie I, game isn't it um well, <laughs> I, feel sorry, I feel sorry for them they're gonna have they're gonna have their game they're this 30 person indie team are gonna have their game compared to a triple a for access title and there's nothing they can do about yeah, it uh, i'm, I'm guilty i'm guilty of that but i'm gonna keep on doing it <laughs> <laughs> Rebecca, apart from Animal Crossing, what would you like to say? Yeah, no, this was such a hard question for me because I'm already getting everything I want for Christmas this year. I've got Animal Crossing, Pokemon, Ori and the Will of the Wisps, and a couple really good indie games that are coming up that look great. So this this is so hard. Um, I joked about Golden Sun earlier. No, you know what? There... There was a rumor going around yesterday that something Banjo-Kazooie related was going to be at E3. And I never played Banjo-Kazooie, but I love Donkey Kong 64. And this is this is absolutely under no circumstances going to happen. But if they ever did some kind of remaster or remake of Banjo-Kazooie, man, I'd play the heck out of that. That'd be great. Rare replay on Switch, eh, Chris? Well, that, you've answered my question. Well, I don't need to answer it, do I? Um. <laughs> Rare replay on Switch. That'd be I, Sure. <laughs> Go on, Chris. Elaborate. Well, the thing with E3 is actually what I really want from E3 is um, uh, uh, a big new 
I don't know. I want to. I want something new, right? But of course, nobody says that before E3. They want a big sequel, and I would love a. Um, I'd love a new, a new Perfect Dark or a new Banjo Kazooie. I'd love, but I really would love, really would love uh, to be able to play some of those games on my handheld. Um, so rarely play on Switch or something that I'd love. Um, actually, if I was going to do a pipe dream, seeing it was almost made, GoldenEye HD actually redone and brought out on other modern consoles. It's a really boring answer no. because you know you want to say I want to say something like a brand new Nintendo IP, but I just want a 1997 first person shooter remastered in high definition stuck on every <laughs> I want that included in Rare Replay on the Switch. That would be great. We can all have our dreams come true. <laughs> what about you, Batch? What's your pipe dream? I still want Zelda Maker. So back at GDC 2017, mm. they did a session on Breath of the Wild and they, they showed off a screenshot from this 2D prototyping tool that they had to map out the world. And it looked suspiciously like a Zelda version of Super Mario Maker, complete with those little shadows to make the 2D sprites look like they've got some kind of weight. I know it's not going to happen because why hasn't it happened already? I know they're going to be focusing on Link's Awakening or they're going to port Wind Waker HD and Twilight Princess to the Switch. And yes, I'll buy those as well. But I want Zelda Maker. I want to be able to make my own 2D Zeldas. I remember there was um, there was an unofficial and therefore very illegal fan-made Zelda creator on the PC years ago. And I started making some quests and overworlds and they were all utterly, utterly awful. But I'd like to fail in an official Nintendo-endorsed kind of way. Your stunned silence says I'm out <laughs> to lunch. <laughs> Aim high, James. <laughs> Keep reaching for the stars. I I think that would be great. It it would be just it would be super fun. I I you're right. We're not gonna get it. At least we're not gonna get it this year because of Super Mario Maker Two taking up everybody's attention. Um, See, is that I, is that their segue? Is that do they do like another another quick like trailer for Super Mario Maker Two, which is coming out in July, and then a little teaser at the end for a Zelda Maker to be revealed another time? I'm definitely getting getting way into wishful thinking territory here. I don't I think it's so far out of left field that you might never see it. I mean, it's it's you keep the, eh. strange noises from Rebecca means that. <laughs> I think that is all we've got time for. I I think we all need a break from E3 before E3 begins because next week will be a mess of conferences and roundups and opinion pieces and hot takes and editorials and leaks and rumors and confirmations and interviews and God knows what else. But you will be able to find all of that across the internet in general, but you'll find the best stuff at gamesindustry.biz. In the meantime, you can listen to our previous episodes at, on all good podcasting platforms, and you can find your daily dose of news, insight, and analysis at gamesindustry.biz. Yeah, they specifically came out and said no hardware. <laughs> edit that one out. Scrap that then, okay. <laughs> I'll edit that one out. That's my own, inc- my own incompetence. Um, someone say something clever now, and I can just put it in as if you've cut over me. <laughs>